that as you go out each day and in home and read your Bible and study your Bible, that you will then come back and answer any question you might have. You see, you don't learn the Bible sitting in church on Sunday. You don't learn the Bible on Wednesday nights, or you don't learn the Bible at men's prayer breakfast. You learn the Bible one way, and that's on your knees with God, spending time with Him. In the future, we'll come through how to pray. We'll come through how to study your Bible. We'll come through those things. First, you need to get your appetite wet, get your get your glands flowing, and get things moving in you, and, and to kind of get the old hearts a-pumping, and then the Holy Spirit of God will come through, and we'll come through and instruct you how. And I promise you, when you all begin praying and spending time on your knees, you'll be asking questions, how do I pray, or how, you know, in my prayer, and you'll say, well, how do I study my Bible, and I'm waiting for the questions, they'll come up, it's time of growth, the time of coming through the thing, but begin to look now, you studying the Bible, like we talked about this morning, getting that knowledge of Christ, that's the thing that does it, the whole thing is based on that, so who has a question for us tonight? I see Bibles turning. That's a good sign. It really is. Did anybody get a Bible? Need one this morning? If I get a What Christian Believe book, if you don't have one of those. If you need one for you and your wife, take it. We'll read at the same time, different directions or something. Take it. I don't care, you know. They're here for you. Anybody have any questions? No? Do I get to just pick something tonight? Any, mini, miny, mo? Huh? I still see people looking through their Bibles. One thing that I don't know where you want to go. Last time you asked a question about dinosaurs, it got me in trouble. <laughs> oh, here the other night you said so we was talking about Adam and Eve. And oh, you no. said something about the. You like that prehistoric <laughs> stuff, don't you, brother? <laughs> Oh, no. <laughs> I don't know. If you don't want to get into tonight, I just yeah. somebody else said it. Oh, man. <laughs> Should I? You said you got a question, I'll answer it. <laughs> if somebody else has got another question, I'll just say it because nobody else said anything. <laughs> okay. Okay, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. By the way, this morning our offerings, including the tape money, was $128. And so the Lord was good to us today. Genesis chapter 2. Now this is going to tie right in, and I don't know how much in depth I want to go on this tonight. Um, Renee, where's Renee at? She, did she backslide? Yeah. Somebody, Helen, give me that thing over there in numbers about the trees, okay? Okay. Okay, while we're looking at that. Okay, Genesis chapter 2. The question is, and I made the real dumb statement the other night. For ages you've heard, I hate, uh, for ages you've heard, you've seen TV commercials about Adam and Eve in the garden and they pick a cran apple off the tree and squish it and drink cran apple juice. And you've seen the great thing about Adam and the apple. And you've heard many, many things about, um, about you know, that type thing, about what is the fruit. Well, the Bible is very specific. And let me, let me share something. I've got to share this with you. Previous. Why, here's why I'm leery on this thing. Um, when I had the junior high department up in Kansas City, I had 7th, 8th, and ninth graders. 
And we had a Wednesday night program called Esprit de Corps, which was essence. We had preach to them sometimes, and we'd have Bible studies and everything. And a lot of my kids' parents were involved Alexander's varsity Monday night Bible study, and they'd run 250, 300 people. Well, Mom and Dad would come home from the varsity Bible study and talk about what Bob had taught on that night and talk about what was the fruit in the garden and that type of thing. So my kids would come to the junior high and say, what is the fruit in the garden of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, I knew that you couldn't teach a 12-year-old that, so I danced around the thing for about three or four months. I mean, I'd say, go home and ask your mom or study it. and You know, I just danced around the thing. And, and um, well, the problem came was I, we was, this was back in the Truman Dollar era when the Bible really wasn't being studied in our church. And um, a lot of the pastoral staff's kids were in my class. And so Junior would go home to Dad, one of the preachers, and say, Dad, what was the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And, of course, Dad didn't know because they don't teach you that at Bob Jones or PBC. And I really got in some hot water over the thing. I want you to know, uh, um, it really caused some repercussions. Now, what I'm going to teach you now is not heresy by any means. In fact, after what we talked about in Sunday school, it really fit in. It really will. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest, thou shalt surely die. Um, drop over to chapter um, 3, I believe, is where I want to go. Give me just a second here. This is impromptu. Make it chapter 2, verse 8. Genesis 2, 8. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted, and it became into four heads, and so forth. Now, notice, God plants a garden. And this garden is, the, is paradise. I mean, this garden is just perfect. God takes this garden, he plants every tree. And notice the criteria for the trees in 2.9. It's pleasant to sight and good for food. Now, right there, you've got two of the three sins in John 2, not the sin that God made it. You have the lust of the eyes, the, the uh, pride of life, and what's the third one? Lust of the, heart, lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, I find something very strange. You look at 2.16. And the Lord God commanded the, the man, saying, of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thou shalt surely die. Do you realize the tree of life was there? And Adam was not prohibited from it? Isn't that strange? Isn't that strange? Oh, Adam could have walked up to the tree of life and taken a bite. Turn over to chapter 3, where I was going a minute ago. 
chapter 3, verse um, 21. This is after the fall. And unto Adam also, and to his wife, verse 21, did the Lord make the coast... Oh, I'm tipping the pulpit over here. Um, where am I at? I will make the coats of skin and clothe them, verse 22. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as, um, has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, to till the ground from whence it was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, plural, and a flaming sword which turned away, uh, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, just in comment, do you notice something? God said that Adam has become like us. He knows good and evil. Back when Satan tempted Eve, he said, you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. So apparently a criteria to be a god is to know good and evil. Now, um, he said, we need to do something here, lest he put his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now stop for a second. What would have been the consequences and the repercussions if a sinful man like you or I that was unregenerate had lived forever? Think what would have happened if Adam would have gotten to the tree of life after he had fallen. There'd be no need for redemption. He couldn't die. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Think about the thing. I mean, it's endless. You could just sit in that thing and just chew on that one for about a decade and, and still get goody out of it. I mean, what would have happened? What would have happened to God's program for redemption? What would have happened? You see, there's so many places, you study your Bible, where Satan could have gotten in and really just fouled things up. And then you see the sovereignty of God. It never happened. Never happened. I, I could take you back over to the book of Kings and show you where Satan tries to stamp out the royal line between Adam and Christ. And he gets within one man of doing it at one time. But he never does it. He never does it. So, very, very interesting consequences. You see the battle between good and evil, between, between the two kings for the kingdom. Now, the question is simply this. What was that fruit? Well, to answer that fruit, we've got to look at a couple things, Okay. And to begin with, let's go to Judges chapter 9. Did you find that? Okay. Get Judges 9, 8 in one hand and Numbers 6, 4 in the other hand. Numbers chapter 6, verse 4. Numbers 6, 4. A very interesting thing found in Numbers 6, 4. In Numbers 6, we have found ourselves a parable or a, a, um, a uh, law for the um, Nazarite. Look at Numbers 6, 1. 
And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, whether, uh, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar nor wine nor vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made from the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of his vow, uh, of his separation, shall no razor come upon his head, until the days be fulfilled in, the, in which he separateth himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy, he shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he has separated himself unto the Lord, shall he come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father, or for his mother, or for his brother, or for his sister, when they, uh, when they die, because the consecration of his God is upon his head, and all the days of his separation is he holy unto the Lord. Judges chapter, what did I say, chapter 6? Judges chapter 9, verse 8. The book of Judges, chapter 9. You have Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then Judges. Judges chapter 9. Well, I'm in Joshua. What am I doing in Joshua? <laughs> Judges chapter 9. I thought, boy, that didn't look right. Problem is, I'm thinking ahead where I'm going. Judges chapter 9. Verse 7. And when they told it to Jotham, he went and stood in the top of the Mount uh, Gerizim and lifted up his voice and cried and said unto them, Hearken unto me, ye men of Shechem, that God may hearken unto you. The trees went forth on a time to appoint a king over them, and they said unto the olive tree, Reign thou over us. But the olive tree said unto them, Should I leave my fatness wherewith by me they honor God and man, and go to be promoted over the trees? And the trees said to the fig tree, Come thou and reign over us. And the fig tree said unto them, should I forsake my sweetness and my good fruit and go to be promoted over the trees? Then said the trees unto the vine, Come thou and reign over us. And the vine said unto them, Should I leave my wine which cheereth God and man and go to be promoted over the trees? Then said all the trees unto the bramble, Come thou and reign over us. And the bramble said unto the trees, If in truth ye anoint me king over you, then come and put your trust in my shadow. And if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now what you got here in Numbers or Judges chapter 9, you've got a parable that's told by Jotham, one of the deliverers of Israel from their enemies. And he tells the parable about the story about four trees. And in this saying, you find yourself with four trees. The first one you find yourself with is the um, fig tree. Second one you find yourself with is the um, vine tree. The third one you find yourself with is the bramble. I missed one, didn't I? Oh, and, and the first one is the olive tree. So you have the olive tree, you have the fig tree, you have the vine tree, and you have the bramble. Now, for time's sake, because I do not want to dwell on this, because this will do nothing at all except give you spiritual goosebumps, um, all four of those trees are found in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. All four of those trees are in the Garden of Eden. 
you say, how do you know? Well, when I get done, three of them will be without doubt. And the fourth one, if you recall, when Adam fell, the bramble, when Adam fell, he said, thorns and thistles you're going to have on the land the rest of your life, right? When the curse. So all of those were present at the time, and at the time of Adam was in the garden, which is very significant. Now, I taught you guys and told you in passing, say, how do I attack this thing without just making the whole night on it and yet make it thorough enough that you could go for it? I told you guys in passing that um, uh, when Adam was born, well, Adam wasn't born, when Adam was created, Adam was the first Christ. He was just like Jesus Christ. Turn your Bibles to um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, for lack of any place else to go right now. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm not real clear now. You'll have to bear with me. I don't feel too hot. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We read this this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 47. Now what did I tell you this morning in Sunday school that Adam lost when he fell? The image and the likeness. What is the image? First, Colossians chapter 1. Right, it's Jesus Christ, His image. Jesus Christ is the image of God. What is the likeness? <coughs> and the body and the spirit. The trichotomy, the three-part creature. Now, I told you this morning that when Adam fell, I'm going to build upon this morning. When Adam fell, he lost the likeness. And I showed you this morning how the spirit died, how the body and the soul became fused together. So he was a dichotomy, and half of him was dead already. Now, verse 47 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As, the, as is the earthy, such are they that are earthy, and as is the heavenly, such are they that are heavenly. As we have borne the image of the earthy, when you, got, when you were born, you had your daddy's image, who had his daddy's image, who had his daddy's image, who had Adam's image. Okay? You had the image of Adam. Romans chapter 5 is very clear about that. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. So context here is you and I getting Christ's image. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and what? Blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Remember? That's the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a literal, physical, messianic. That's a good shot, though. kingdom of God is spiritual. Romans chapter 14. For the kingdom of God is not meat and not drink, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's a spiritual kingdom. So if you as a saved, born-again Christian today, Paul says that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth what? Corruption inherit incorruption. So in essence, there is some sort of corruption with flesh and blood. Any problem with that? Turn to John. John somewhere around 20, 2021. When I get there, I'll tell you.
I want the place where it says, touch me for spirits have not flesh and bone as you see me have. Okay. There we go. John 20 verse, um, let's get a run at it. Verse 14. And when the she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turneth herself and saith him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and your, and your father and to my God and your God. Where is it at? What would you guys see it at? How about 26? Oh, I misunderstood you. Drop over to 26. And after eight days again, his disciples were with him and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither my hand, and thrust it in my side, and be not believe, uh, faithless, but believing. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, uh, My Lord and my God. It's done not what I want. I want flesh and bone, cannot inherit. Spirits have not flesh and bone, as you see me have. Let me go back here and get my references on it. Somebody might try the Gospel of Matthew there at the end. Maybe it's there. Truly a Bible study, huh? Should I find it? No. That's where we were just at, wasn't it? That's what we just read. Oh, I got it. I got it. Luke 24:39. I had it written at the bottom of the page. You didn't even see it. Luke 24:39. Pardon me for my lack of continence tonight. Luke 24:9. Here, let's see. Is that what I want? 2439. I can't even read. Okay, here we go. Luke 2439. Bible says in verse 36, And when they had thus spoken, Jesus himself stood up in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that he had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled, and why do your thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not what? Flesh and bones, as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. Now notice, what did he say to Mary other than John? Touch me not, for I have not yet ascended in my Father. He'd already ascended here. He said, look, touch me. 
touch me. He's already been there and back. He's been to heaven. He offered that sacrifice on the altar in heaven of His own blood before God, according to the book of Hebrews. And He was made the atonement in heaven, and He had come back down. And He was standing there, and He was appeared before Him. They said, oh, it's a spirit. And He says, no, 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 no. Wait a second. Spirits don't have flesh and bone as you see me have. He said, um, he said, uh, you know, for I, you know, here I am. I'm not a spirit. And yet Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm being scanning here on purpose. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he tells us that um, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. There's a difference there. What's the, what's the, what's the difference in those two verses? Isn't the difference blood? Isn't the difference blood? Okay, if you remember back in Numbers chapter 6, the first passage we read, I read you the passage about the Nazarite. And he was to not touch anything that was the fruit of the vine. He was not to touch it. He was not to do anything with it. What he was to do with that thing, was not to touch a grape all of his life. Not to touch a raisin. He was not to drink new wine. He was not to, to do anything at all with the product of the grape. Now, the Bible is consistent, and again, I can take you to Revelation chapter 14, and we'll probably go there in a minute anyway. The Bible is consistent, and, and again, to make a long story short, here the thing goes together. Do you remember when Moses was back in Exodus, back there in the book of Exodus, and he was about to said, let my people go? Can anybody tell me what the first thing that, that Moses did uh, with Pharaoh? Moses turned the water into blood. Remember in John chapter 2 when there was a marriage in the third day there was a marriage in Canaan? What did Jesus do? He turned the water into blood, into wine. Now Re Revelation chapter 14 when Jesus Christ is his second advent and he's coming back on his threshing machine and he's killing Gentiles right and left, the Bible said he is threshing, threshing the winepress of the wrath of the mighty God and the Bible says the blood of the grape runs to the horse's bridle. So in your Bible grapes and blood are synonymous. Any place you go in your Bible you're going to find blood and the blood of the grape. The blood of the grape. I'm going to give you ten references on it right now if we, if we were going to go that way. The blood of the grape. The blood of the grape. The blood of the grape. Now Again, I don't want to spend time on this because this is not going to build you up. This is one of those spiritual goosebump type things that's great and it's always a great tingler. It always catches people's ears. When Adam was born, in all probability, when Adam was, was made, Adam was just like Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, according to his own admission, had flesh and bone. Paul tells us he can't have flesh and blood. Why? Because he can't inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because corruption cannot inherit incorruption. So henceforth, flesh and blood must be corrupt. Well, the flesh is okay because Jesus got after the sin of his father. He just has bone, no blood. When the Bible tells you of a Nazarite is holding to the Lord, and if his father, his mother, his brother, or his sister die, he's not to touch their body because his relationship with God is more important than his dead relative, then you know that that grape is the only forbidden fruit in the Bible. That fruit of the vine. 
And if my King James Bible is consistent, and it is, and if my King James Bible doesn't change, and it doesn't, the same forbidden fruit to the Nazarite is the same forbidden fruit to Adam. Do you remember when they went into the land? In, they're about um, in the book of Numbers, and they spout the land, and they come back with a pole, and they're carrying a cluster of grapes. Isn't it strange that that's the fruit they found in the promised land? A little quinky dink. Doesn't mean anything. It's just an accident. Now, when Adam took that thing and looked up and saw that fed vine tree, by the way, and again, I can, uh, we went to the argued night, I, you, I couldn't prove this to you. I mean, frankly, I couldn't prove it to you. But I can show you so many quinky dinks so many little things to fit in that thing that you just, you just, you, you, if you're honest, you can't, you, you just got problems, if you're honest. But if a man, listen to me now, if a person goes into a subject with their mind made up, forget them. One of the rules in studying your Bibles have no preconceived ideas. If a guy doesn't want to believe this, he ain't going to believe it. I don't care how much evidence you show it to him. I mean, look, look at God. People don't believe in God. Look how much evidence there is to believe in God. I mean, it's overwhelming. So I'm not, I'm not too concerned. If you don't want to believe us, that's fine. Between you and God, I don't care. It doesn't affect your salvation. You know, I'm not too concerned. Um, but here's the thing: where the thing goes. Adam looked up, or Eve looked up at that thing. And, and by the way, the quinky thing I was going to refer to was: Do you ever realize, out of all the wood, and do you really, remember back in Numbers six, the Bible said, "Of the fruit of the vine tree, thou mayest not eat." A vine is a tree. Do you realize a vine is the only tree that's worthless except for its fruit? Think about it. You can't build a house out of grapevines. Tarzan swings on them. That's about all he does. That's about it. And there's some spiritual significance to that, which I won't go into tonight. Now, the tree is utterly useless. You ever try to swing on a grapevine, guys, and if you've been out duck hunting or out deer hunting, and you little grabs, you grab a grapevine, you try to swing on it, thing goes, whoosh, and you come right down with you. But you ever notice when you try to cut a tree down to get some wood, there's a grapevine, it'll hold that stinking tree up. When you're trying to get the tree down, the vine won't let go. When you're trying to swing on the vine, it won't hold you up. You ever find that that just been true of me all the way around? They're worthless. The only thing we do with grapes is drink their blood. Isn't it? Notice they hang on other things. I mean, they're, they're totally worthless. Worthless. They crawl up other things and attach themselves and hang on. Now, your Bible is clear in the precedent that Adam walked up to that thing and he was Christ, the first Christ. And he wasn't the Son of God in the fact that Jesus Christ is deity. Okay, He was a created creature. Don't get me wrong when I say that. But he would have the, the image and likeness of God. Eve walked up to that thing and the serpent said, Hey, honey, isn't that a good-looking tree? Boy, she said, It is. God said I made it pleasant to the eyes there in Genesis 2. He said, Honey, wouldn't you like to be as gods knowing good and evil? She said, Boy, I sure would. We talked about that what, two weeks last week. She reached up that to found that big old grape. That grape was probably about that size. She just took that old grape down and popped that rascal down there, put the thing up to her mouth and took a bite. The minute she took a bite, she became corrupted. What happened? She sinned against God. She sinned against God. 
she died spiritually. The soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. Now, Tonight, and I think we've done this in the past, I can take you to Joel 3.21. I can take you to a number of other places. Uh, me, let me take you to one. Look at Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel. Let me give you one for a proof test. Write Joel 3.21, that is another one. I want you to look at Ezekiel, um, Ezekiel 16.6. Ezekiel 16.6. Ezekiel 16, 6 says, And when I passed by thee and saw thee, I'll let you get there. Ezekiel, you find in Psalms, the book you're in the middle of your Bible, go a little bit toward the rear and you'll have Isaiah, you'll have Jeremiah, you'll have Lamentations, and you'll have Ezekiel. But Lamentations is also short, you won't see it in the middle there. Ezekiel 16, 6. Should be just past the middle of your Bible. Bible says, when I passed by thee and saw thee, what? Polluted in thine own, what? Blood. I said unto thee, when thou wast in thy, what? Blood, live. Yea, I said unto thee, when thou wast in thine blood, what? Live. I have caused thee to multiply as the bud of the field, and thou hast increased and waxen great. Thou art come to the excellent... Um, um, Ornaments, thy breasts are fashioned, thine hair is, is grown, whereas thou wast naked and bare. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was the time of love, and I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. She I swear unto thee and entered into a covenant with thee, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. Then I washed thee with water, yea, I washed, I thoroughly washed away thy from thee, and anointed thee with oil. Why would God wash away their blood? Why did God say in verse 6, When thou was in thy blood, I said, Live? Because their blood was killing them. Well, doesn't the Bible say in the book of Deuteronomy, in the book of Leviticus, the life is in the blood? Yeah. You guys have been, you guys are all rural people. You've seen a hog. When you reach down and clip him between the eyes of 22 and cut his throat, you've watched him wallow on the ground and his motion decrease as his blood decreases, haven't you? You've watched his come completely dead as the last blood trickles out of his juggler, haven't you? You know what's strange? I can't figure it. The very thing that keeps you alive is the thing that's killing you. You know why? Because you're corrupted. Adam relied on God to live before he fell. Now we rely on ourselves, don't we? So God says, you want to rely on yourself? Your own reliance, the thing that keeps you alive, I'm going to have kill you. So henceforth, when George Washington was dying, they stuck leeches on him because they knew his blood was killing him because his sin was in his blood. You say, aren't they old cake down there carving wood teeth? Yeah, they were. They didn't more buy than we know today. They really do. They really do. Now, again, if you want to fight me in this thing, fine. But it's really strange that the first miracle in the Bible is turning water into blood. It's really strange the very first miracle of Jesus Christ is turning water into blood. You know what happened? Isaiah 16, 9, I then washed I thee with what? 
Then he replaced blood with water. Doesn't he? Amen. Am I reading something into it? Did he replace blood with water? Doesn't he? In all probability, Adam had water flowing through his veins. Living water. And when he sinned, his living water became blood. Just like Moses did, just like Jesus did. Henceforth, we talked about alcohol here a couple weeks ago. Whenever you put a glass of wine to your lips in God's sight, you're drinking blood. In the tribulation, you're going to drink blood to the sacrifice of the Antichrist. Because the Antichrist likes cannibalism and blood sacrifices. And that's a study in itself right there. Don't believe me, go to Psalm chapter 16. Now, the Bible is very, 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 very emphatic. The Bible is very, um, very, uh, very clear that that thing about blood's got a problem with it. Joel 3.21, I will cleanse their blood. Old Sam's translation, he brought that one that Bible study, says, and I will avenge their blood. No, he won't. He'll cleanse it. If he avenges their blood, they go to hell. He cleanses their blood, they live. Amen? Now, as far as the, 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 the um, tree of life, very clear in your Bible. And I won't run the verse, I'm just going to give them to you. There's only one verse in the Bible, only one tree in the Bible that's connected with life. That's the olive tree, type of the Holy Ghost. Zechariah, I believe, chapter 4, Romans chapter chapter 9 or chapter 10 where he grafts in the, the, the olive tree. He grafts them into the olive tree. See, your, 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 your trees in your Bible are very important. Every time you find the fig tree in your Bible, it's talking about Israel. Every time it's Israel. The fig tree is Israel. The fig tree is Israel. Every time you find the olive tree, you've got the church or Israel, but it's always life. It's always the Holy Ghost. What does Romans 8 say? He that hath, the, who hath, he that hath not the, the Spirit of Christ is none of his. Right? If you don't have the Holy Spirit of God, you don't have life. Holy Spirit is a type of olive oil. Well, olive oil is a type of the Holy Spirit. In the tabernacle, they, they burned olive oil in the, uh, in, the, in the candlestick because of a type of the Holy Ghost lighting the ceremony of the priest in the tabernacle. As he went in there, it was totally pitch black. And all he had to work from was a golden candlestick that had seven candles in it that was uh, fueled by olive oil. And he couldn't see to do his priestly benefits. He couldn't see to eat the showbread. He couldn't see to do the to offer the incense. You know why? Because that tells you that you got to live by faith, and you've got to only live by the light of the Holy Ghost. Picture, see, it's a picture, see. So that olive tree, that tree of life, is probably an olive tree. And there's no problem. It is an olive tree. And it was sitting there in the middle of the in the middle of the um, of the. Um, um, uh, the, the, the Garden of Eden. He could have eaten of it. And lived forever. And lived forever. You see, you have trouble getting stuff like this with any other Bible besides this one. You know why? Because the other Bibles translate them all differently in different places. And there's no consistency. You've almost got to believe in the King James to get this kind of thing. That's why we're called heretics. Maybe I should include you in that now because you're starting to be one. That's why I'm called a heretic. Because I, I believe God gave me a book. Amen. You, know, when, you know the thing that makes me believe the King James Bible is the Word of God? This stuff right here. Does it fit? I, I didn't want to teach it to you. It's not like I'm trying to assassinate your throat and push a fast on my I didn't want to teach it to you. You ain't got no business knowing it. You ain't. 
You asked it, I answered. That's our agreement, isn't it? Any question? It's our agreement. It's the only reason I answered it. Now, you take those two things there. You got four trees in the Bible. In, in that thing in Judges 9. You got the bramble, which is the curse. Figure it out. Satan, the cursed earth. You got the olive tree, which is tree of life. You got the fig tree, which is Israel. You got the fine tree, which is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's why when they took it, they got blood. Because the grapes got blood. And do you realize that whenever you let grape juice spoil, that's a picture of corruption? Did you realize to make any of the kind of alcoholic beverage you had to let yeast and water spoil? <laughs> I mean, you can corrupt all kinds of things, but the old stable is still the wine. It's the one always used. It really is. And you can drink beer all you want to. You can put a head on it. You can drink your yeast and your whatever, schnapps, whatever it is out there, all you want to. But I'll tell you something, my friend. That spoilage is a picture. That's why Jesus said, I'll drink no more fruit of the vine until I drink it with you new in the kingdom. New in the kingdom. New in the kingdom. See, it's not spoiled. It's pure. It's pure. So we take that Lord's Supper. We're drinking that grape juice because His blood wasn't spoiled. His blood wasn't corrupted. That's why we drink it. God could have us drink vinegar. So we drank on the cross. No, 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 no. We drink wine, grape juice. You say, did Jesus Christ drink liquor? No, my friend. And here's one simple answer. And it should seal for you. The book of Proverbs says, Woe to him that give a strong drink to his neighbor. If Jesus Christ drank wine that was fermented, he is not the Son of God because he broke the law in the book of Proverbs. What else do you need? What else do you need? <laughs> if Jesus Christ drank wine, he's not the Son of God. He violated the law. And the Bible says, A man who offend the law in one point is guilty of all the law. Amen? Amen? He didn't drink wine. You know why? He didn't like spoiled blood. <laughs> he made it pure. He came to eradicate what, what, what polluted it. He came to say, When thou wast in thy blood, I said, Live! That's what he came to do. He came to give you water for blood. He didn't come to drink it with the wine and sinners and the wine bibbers. Don't give them that garbage. See how little I understand these guys in the world got to say, Jesus Christ drank. You know what they're doing? They're giving themselves an excuse to get loaded. That's all they're doing. That's all they're doing. You know, I wouldn't drink. I would not drink. I, this is why I got in trouble for this thing in church. I told you I had a little heat. My young people, maybe I told you this already. My young people, these little things the Baptists and we Christians tell young people about why they shouldn't drink, it's for the birds. It destroys your temple. Well, so does coffee. It destroys your temple. Quit drinking Coke, friend. It causes your brother's sin. Well, amen, it does that. But what's a 12-year-old care if his brother sins or not? He doesn't care. That cares about getting a thrill, getting a buzz. Isn't that right? <coughs> Twelve-year-old ain't got the maturity to worry about, or fourteen-year-old got the maturity to worry about when he's causing his brother to stumble. He could care less. In fact, he'd probably watch him laugh, laugh as he watched him fall. Wouldn't he? So I said, hey, I'm going to deal with, 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 um, with uh, blood, with, with young people drinking alcohol. I'm going to tell them the truth. The young man thinks he's good picks up that glass of wine or that beer and sees blood in that cup, he's not going to be quite as apt to drink it, is he? And as you study your Bible, knowing what you know now, that thing will become very obvious to you. God hates it. I mean, God hates it. 
I mean, God hates it. Why does he hate it? Because you're doing a ritual worship service to the majesty of the devil. Because that's one of the things he requires in his worship, is you drinking blood. Read Psalm chapter 16. Now, you say, boy, you're emphatic tonight. I am. I'm tired. I don't feel good. <laughs> Not in a fooling around mood. <laughs> I'm in a mood to fight tonight. I'm in a mood to, I'm in a mood to see some blood. Now, that's it. Tree of life is a grape. I mean, olive. No doubt. No doubt. Read, read Romans chapter 9, I believe, is where they react to men. It's alive. It's there. Your Bible's consistent. You say, I don't believe it's consistent. You got the wrong Bible, friend. Answer it. I could talk about blood tonight. I got I did a real study this year about five about five, six years ago. I really got into blood. I started butchering with my dad. And I was we butchered one week in, in November. We butchered three deer, a twelve hundred pound steer, and two hogs in one week. And deer demoralizing. When I butchered for a week six or eight animals, after a while you mentally get down having blood on your hands. You really do. I've talked to boys that work in meat packing plants. There are guys that have to kill those steers and they walk through that chute. They many guys can do that thing consistently. And the guys that can do that thing consistently or cut their throats, they got a screw loose. They just they're just about a core low. <laughs> I'm serious. A sane man, I'm not doubting them, but a man, you or I walk in there about two weeks, but a week stomach probably. Death, 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 death on your hands. I went and um, went to a movie this weekend. I shouldn't tell you that. As your pastor, <laughs> I went and saw the King David. Don't go see it. I left there so mad I chew nails. You talk about hot Hollywood taking the word of God and dragging through the mud. They did it. But there's one good thing in the movie. They showed some battle scenes in there. Those old boys fought. Had them sore about that long. Today, we go out there, we go to Vietnam, there's a sniper at 45 yards, we clip him between the eyes, don't we? You know what they did back then? And as you severed his head and his left shoulder from his body, his blood spattered across your face and your arms. And the movie was very good in the fact that while Saul was out there when he fell upon his own sword to die, he was a bloody pulp. And they showed Jonathan falling on the field, and he was blood from head to toe, not his, other men's. There's a reason for that. You take the... Have you ever, ever killed something? You can't... You cannot kill something and not get the blood on you. I don't know how you could do it. I guess suppose if you put yourself in an advised environment and got you some of those rubber gloves like a sandblaster or something, maybe you could do it, but you still get the blood on the thing. You ever got a deer? I got a deer. By the time I get that deer home, man, I, I look like the deer. You know? Don't you? There's something to that thing. Now, I, t I tell you that not to dwell on it. I tell you that for this reason. You watch your Bible. You start watching life. I think about that blood. You, you can't nail it down. I've tried. I spent about a year on that thing looking fervently. And I got to the place I just couldn't figure it all out. I got to the place where I reached in, in infinity. It was more than my mind can handle. Think about blood. I mean, it was crazy. Your life's in your blood. Your blood's killing you. Yet the blood had to be shed to redeem you. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. 
You mean the thing that's got the sin has got to be shed to cover somebody else's sin? That's right. Something's got to die so something can live? That's right. Strange. God's good thing worked out. But I promise you, you go to Calvary Bible College, there's not one man in the, in the college can tell you what I taught you tonight. Not because it's wrong. He'll be the book. And if you confront with them, they say, oh yeah, I've heard that heresy. See? Maybe it's a heresy. Sure fits in my Bible. It really does. I'm not here to teach heresy. I'm even telling you that there may be contradictions. I mean, there may be, may be problems. Don't go out and tell your Church of Christ friend this tomorrow. I'm not kidding you. Don't do it. Especially if he's a preacher or something. He'll just eat you alive, man. Yeah, that's okay. Come get me. I had the best of them after me. I don't care anymore. My friend, it fits. Oh, Adam took that over. Eve took that thing off the vine, took a bad thing, and Adam came home. She handed it to Adam, and Adam sinned willfully. Eve was deceived. And the water was turned to blood. Explain to me how flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God, but flesh and bone can. And how that very verse talks about those being corrupted. You explain that to me. You can't explain it to me. You can't explain it to me. And be honest with the Word of God. Well, in the original Greek. Yeah, run to the Greek, baby. It says the same thing. It does. Unless, of course, you've got the wrong Greek manuscript that came from the Vatican, who drink blood in every service. That's another story. Any questions? Any thoughts? We'll move on. About 15 more minutes, we'll get out of here. Acts 2.20. Uh-oh. Anything in Acts 2 is bad news. dealing with blood. <sighs> Neither do I. <laughs> Where's the companion passage in Revelation at, Estelle? I don't know. Go down Revelation 7 or 8. Let me find it. Somebody else help me look. Revelation chapter 6. Let's look at Acts 2. Now, to begin with, last week we covered this thing in, in, a, in a quick run-through. And I want you to notice some things here. This prophecy comes out of Joel 2.28 that Peter quotes here. And this prophecy, the book of Joel is a wild book. It's about three or four books in the Bible that I just don't want to teach. Joel's one of them. Um, man, those old horsemen in chapter 2, they're rough. But this passage in that book of Joel is all second coming. All second coming. All second coming. What's second coming? It's not when we go up. It's when he comes down. Okay? Now, Acts 2.14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as ye suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days. What's that? The last days in your Bible go anywhere from the church age through the tribulation. The last days include us today. Paul said, brethren, we're in the last days. What are the last days? Day five, day six, or day four, day five, and day six. 
I said that wrong. Day five and day six and day seven. Those are the last days. Amen? That's what it means. The Bible's consistent. It says, In the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Now, do you remember up here on the blackboard that night, I showed you how that God took that thing to Acts chapter 8? And in Acts chapter 8, God put it on hold or somewhere in there. And I showed you how he was going to start again the tribulation. Remember? Showed you how the baptism, John was saying, repent for the, you know, um, uh, that when, the, when the times refreshing come from above, your sins be blotted out. Remember I showed you that in Acts chapter 3? So John was preaching, repent and be baptized for when the king comes, you'll be ready. It was not get saved. It was the king is coming. The king is coming. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, what he's doing here. He's in Acts chapter 2. He's right here. He says, in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Where's he at? He's at the door of the tribulation. That's where he's at. He's at the door of the tribulation. Church age is an afterthought. Church age is a parenthesis. Church age is just something God did because the Jews turned him away. He ordained it before the foundation of the world, but he's still looking at this thing consistently as far as Jew goes, Peter goes right there and says, Hey, in the last days, tribulation, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And, I'm, and, and all my servants and all my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven above, and signs in the earth beneath, and blood and fire and, and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall be turned into blood before that great and notable what? That day, with two adjectives, great and notable in there, of the Lord come. What are you talking about? Now the next time a charismatic pulls Acts chapter 2 out on you and says, Have you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost? You say, has the moon turned to blood? But the Bible says in the last days I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. It also said that the moon's going to turn to blood. And the sun turned to darkness. It ain't happened yet, has it? Why? It's tribulation. It's tribulation. That just charismatic. Poor old guys don't want anything anyway. They kind of fall over their tongue and then when you get, they get up, they kind of say, well, i got to go. They do, man. They run. Charismatics are great as long as they want to talk about their experience. They'll talk all day to you about how great it was to be in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. But they won't talk to the Bible. Not at all. See the problem there? If you're going to apply Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18 to the church age, you better apply verses 19 and verses 20 because it's the same prophecy. <laughs> Isn't it? Let's be consistent, my friend. Let's not pick and choose our doctrine out of the Bible. Let's be consistent. Amen? Amen. Revelation chapter 6. Now, I've told you guys on several occasions, promoting this book right here in my hand, this Bible has seven seals, doesn't it? You guys have seen Most of you all have counted them on your Bible by now, I'm sure. It's great to talk about that. I, I got a message I preached in Revelation chapter 5 about the books being opened, and I just love to preach that thing for the first time to people and watch people count in the back of their Bibles. And you can always tell the people that have New American Standard stuff because they don't have seven. And they go, and they're looking at the Bible and they're saying, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. You know, it's great to do it because you can just watch people going, wow, it really does. I always wonder why those were on there, you know, and uh, it's great to preach the thing. Now look at Revelation chapter 6. Those seven seals are being opened. That's what's happening here. 
Okay? Let's look at verse um, 12. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a, a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth. Acts 2 said darkness. Same thing. Of hair. And the moon became as blood. And the stars of heaven fell on the earth, even as a fig. What did we say a fig was? Israel. A fig. Now, I will, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to be straight with you. There's a place over in... Ezekiel, where the Bible talks God shaking the sons of God out of heaven as a fig casting around timely figs. Somehow, and I don't understand it, somehow God compares devils to the fig tree also. I don't quite got it together, but I wanted to be straight with you and tell you that. And, that, and I say that because that could be what this is. Did she pass out? She did pass out. Do you have any protein, any orange juice, or any cheese? Cheese would be great. A piece of cheese. She's hypoglycemic. I have sugar, We're in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 13. The crisis is over, okay? And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell into the earth. Now, the reason I brought that thing up about those things casting untimely figs is because what I tell you stars always were? Angels, say. So, see, there's more to it than that thing. Anytime, I mean, I, again, I can't tell you why, but God compares them to, to, to figs. And he doesn't compare them to the figs. He compares them as when they fall. He doesn't compare them to the tree. He compares them to the fruit of the tree. Okay? Casting untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heavens depart as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the chief captains, and the mighty men, and every bondman, every free man hid themselves in the dens, and the rocks, and mountains, and said uh, to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? It's great in the place in Revelation. Bible says that they, the rocks fall on them and God didn't let them die. The death flees from them. And these guys are here cursing God and, and hiding and saying, He's coming, He's coming, He's going to kill me, He's coming, fall on us rocks and hide us. And so the rocks fall on them and the guy's laying with about a four-ton boulder across his midsection and his gut's squeezing up under the boulder and he can't die. He says, is that a God of love? That's a God of love. It's also a just God who has to execute judgment when he can't apply his love. So, brother, to tell you exactly why the thing becomes blood, I, I don't know that I can answer that exactly, except to say this. What's the moon a type of? The church. We talked about that in the Bible a long time ago. In the Bible right now, it's nighttime. The church is in the nighttime. Why? Because the sun is gone. How do you know the sun's in the sky right now? Because you look at the moon and see it reflecting the light of the sun, right? How does the world know Jesus Christ is alive? By his church. See, we are a, we are a type of the, the moon is a type of us in the fact that we, we don't shine of ourselves. The moon doesn't shine of itself. We reflect the light of the sun. So the Bible says let Christ, you know, let, let everybody see Christ in your life. Did you ever look at the moon in a telescope? You look at it at night and it's just a big, white, smooth ball in it. You ever look at it in a telescope and see the craters and the scars and the seas? You say, why is that on there? You know why? You ever look at a Christian's life? A man who's sold out for God? A lot of scars. A lot of rough places. Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus Christ. Picture. It's a picture. 
See, everything God made, he made to teach you about things you can't see. Next time you look at that moon, see those big old craters. A couple of them you see with the naked eye. See those big old craters, man. You think about the, the things God's going to give you and allow you to suffer for his name's sake. See, the apostles said in Acts, about Acts chapter 5 or chapter 6, they counted it joy when they got to suffer for his great namesake. See, it's a privilege to suffer for him. That's why we talked about this morning to finish the verse. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Tough one. That's the bitter with the good. Knowing him is the great. The suffering is the bad part, except the suffering yields rewards, position, glory. You know, I mean, it, it, for I reckon the suffrages present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that should be revealed in us. Far outweighs what we're going to get for what we suffer. But there's still going to be some scars. There's going to be a price to pay for Jesus Christ. Brother, what that blood is, the moon is a type of church. For some reason it turns to blood, some of that thing fits. The church is redeemed by the blood of Christ. I mean, I can speculate, and I, I can't tell you for sure. I've got some ideas, but I don't want to start inserting opinions. I told you that from the very outset. I'm not going to give you opinions. If I can back a thing up a scripture, I'll tell it to you. I don't know on this one. I've got some thoughts. I've got some conclusions. Moon's a type of church. Obviously, blood's church is bought by blood. So you can go that way with that type of thing. Other than that, I don't know why. I really don't. An interesting thing is, though, if you study your Bible, the Bible goes on in the book of Revelation and says that a third of the sun is darkened. And then the Bible says in Thessalonians that except those days be shortened, no flesh should be saved. Apparently the seven years are going to be shorter than the seven years now. Why? Because a third of the day leaves. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just see something there. I don't know. I got a buddy, Mel Sabaka. Um, anybody goes to New York with us this year, we'll see him. Um, he had a th told me, I talked to him one he said he got the thing all worked out about 15 years ago. He had it all laid down where the third of the tribulation nails down and the sun is a third darkened and the day shortened and he had the thing all laid out and he says he got on a plane and somebody stole his notes. Or preached to camp, somebody stole his notes. Said he could never get it back. Said he worked on it and God just never gave it back to him again. Lost it all. He said it fit right down the line. I don't know why. I can't tell you what it is. I ain't never done it. But he said he worked the thing out. He said it fit right down the line. He said God gave it to him one night. And he lost it and he couldn't pull it back. And you'll find the stuff God gives you, you can't pull back out of your head. Uh-uh. You can't pull them back out. That's why you got to write them down. It's the only scapegoat you got on God, write it down. I guess God could erase it. You know, He's good at blotting things out. You know, <laughs> Just what's not my name. <laughs> Other than that, brother, I don't know. I really don't. But you, so there's some things you can take that are running that thing. You run blood and moon down a while, and you'll see, you'll see more than one reference on it. See, I've shown you three in Joel 2 and Acts 2 and Revelation. Things not in the Bible three or four or five or six times for any, any particular, well, without it meaning something. You know, I, I don't quite know. We're not sure. But the thing on blood strange. It really is. You notice how God requires blood off of the tribulation. You notice that thing. Requires it. Why? Because they're drinking it. Which been the Antichrist? It's crazy. It really is. We get back in the tribulation. And I start, and I want to do that. I want to get in the tribulation, at least get some, some basics laid out for you so you kind of understand it. We get back in there. That's when the Bible comes alive. Because the Bible's got so many facts, so many details that you just never pick out. And we'll get there. It just takes time. It just takes time. Anything you want to say? Questions? I want to try and get out of here on time. Do you think? 
You mean in Revelation 7? Yeah. Well, you've got those of the you've got those being the hundred and forty four thousand up in heaven. And they come out of the tribulation and their robes are washed in the blood of the Lamb and they're made clean and pure. The other one is God's judgment on sin. I don't know. See part of the thing you think about would be the sun becoming black, God turns his back on Israel. See, I can tell you that one. Matthew said it was very clear that God God hides from Israel in the tribulation. They can't find him. He forsakes them. And he hides. That's why the sun becomes black. Yeah, just exactly like he did his own son. But he comes back to them. And um, he didn't come back to Jesus until after he rose, see. And then the moon and the blood, you know, you got some thoughts when you start thinking about that way. I don't know. Yeah. See, then you got the stars of heaven come to the earth. You see, that's obviously sons of God. I don't think anybody could take that thing now you always take the Bible literally until you can't take it literally here's one if a, our sun is a small sun if the stars of heaven fell on our earth they're bigger than the earth it would be inflamed and gone so you, it's not literal but you take it little till you can't take it little anymore okay you understand what I'm saying to you That's, that takes wisdom take it literally as far as you can take if you start saying well that's spiritual that means something else you got problems you got problems. Take it literally until you cannot take it literally anymore. Always do that. So if if the stars plural and a couple of big supernovas came down that were about thirty or forty times the size of our Earth, what would be left? Nothing. See, and so um, you know you obviously know the stars aren't falling, so it's something else. It's got to be angels because angels are always stars in the Bible. That's why when Jesus Christ was born in Luke chapter three. Is that right? No. Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 3. Um, there's a star of Bethlehem. That wasn't a little twinkly, twinkly, twinkly. That was an angel. You take that thing and lay that a little further, it's probably Jesus Christ himself through over his own birth. But that's another story. That gets crazy too. You say, why? Because every time you find your Bible, the angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ. Every time. You have an angel, but every time you have the angel, it's always Christ. And I can show you 30 times tonight in your Bible, in the Old Testament, where Jesus Christ shows up in the Old Testament. Not many people argue over that one. That's pretty, pretty, pretty evident. Another questions? That was free, by the way. <laughs> Any other thoughts? God learn, don't we? Don't we? You go home now and you spend time on your knees with God. Now, see, I know you. I've been there. I know you go tackle blood tonight. I know you're going to go home and study the moon and the blood, because I did. You're going, to, you're going to trash righteousness and faith and purity, and you're going to go for the blood and the moon. You know, I know how it goes. Because I've been there. Never will forget, the first year I got real serious about the Bible, I lived in the Old Testament. I mean, I lived in the tribulation, second coming, millennium. I just lived back here. I didn't come out of the millennium for about eight months. I ate, slept, drank, everything, millennium. I got my full of it, and I'm, I've quit. I haven't been back much since, just in passing, adding references. But you, you, you hit a place, I think, where that, that thing in the future, that thing will just catch your eye, and you'll dive in that thing and just go crazy. And you'll come back. You'll come back. You will. Every, every, like every young Christian, that's their first 
Well, I tell you something. We, if we if we bought a marquee up here in Main Street, we put down. We're going to be preaching on Revelation for the next six months and laying out Daniel seventy weeks and all that stuff and did a big thing like that. We double our attendance. People like prophecy, but I put a marquee up here and say we're we'll talking about the atonement of Christ. We're talking about um, you know the sacrificial lamb. Uh, you probably some of you probably wouldn't come. You know, so um, you know how it goes. People love prophecy. I like to call it spiritual goosebumps. Very true, though. It's fun, though. It really is. See, God, God's balanced. See, I, I, I'll be quite honest with you. I would probably catch some fits from my superiors in Kansas. I say my superiors, my the people, the people that are spiritually superior to me, my my fathers in Christ, Kansas teaching this stuff. I mean, it's not wise. But let me tell you what I'm doing. I don't worry too much about it, the simple fact of this. On Sunday morning, I'm giving you plenty, plenty dose of practical Christian living. At least I'm attempting to. I'm trying to give you two hours on Sunday morning of stuff you can take, and it's right down where the, where the chickens feed. And I don't particularly worry about an hour and a half on Sunday night with just the more, more you know, the, the more dedicated bunch. I have no problem with you guys getting out here and getting a little glimpse of eternity. Hey, problem. You know why I have a problem with it? Because I think back at how I got it, and I got it from this stuff. That's what got me excited. Wow. Let me show you a verse, and I'll quit. Look at First um, Peter. Let me show you the reason why we started Bible Baptist Church with Bible studies. And this is a basic premise behind everything that I do. First Peter chapter two, verses verse one. Bible says, "Wherefore laying aside all malice." and all guile, and all hypocrisies, and envyings, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Now everybody stops there. Look at the next verse 3. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. You want to, you want to desire the sincere milk of the word, Christian? you got to taste His graciousness. I use the illustration, I won't keep you. you. You make a big dinner, you cook lobster or steak or something. Well, I made a big steak dinner over, in fact, I preached in Ohio that time, I told you this thing about, you take a big, I made a big big hot hamburgers one time, and I took the skillet in the front room, ran in my dad's nose, or my mom's nose, just said, doesn't that smell good? Smoke on it and everything, spices, it just sounded heavenly. You know, that, that meal was better, why? Because you taste, you smelled it before you ate it. You tasted it, it was gracious. Now, if if I keep the Bible and I keep it all practical, basic stuff, you're, you're going to learn and you're going to grow. But I doubt you'll ever desire. But if I give you just a glimpse here and a glimpse there and a glimpse here and a glimpse there, you're going to say, wow, that book's something. Amen? So see, I don't get too concerned. When, when he asked the question, the, the first four or five minutes I was up here, I had a knot in my chest. I do not want to teach this. I really don't. I do not. And I was thinking, how do I get out of this? I thought, no, I can't. And I mean, seriously, I am, I am real leery about dumping you guys stuff you can't handle. But on the other hand, 
if you go home, Roger, because of our time tonight, and just fall over that book, praise Jesus. So I'm not too concerned about it. If I came in tonight and planned this thing, then I could maybe point a finger at me. I said, Lord, whatever question you got tonight, and God gave the question when we had. That was our deal, wasn't it? Any question. So I took it. God could have any question come up tonight. Right? He could have struck Roger with dumbness so he couldn't have talked. <laughs> you see how I'm rationalizing my sin? I love you. I want you to know that. I really do. You are the dear. I've heard preachers all my life say I got the dearest bunch of people back home. I've heard preachers all my life. And I understand. I mean, I understood it with my kids back in Kansas City. I really did. I love them. But I don't love them nothing like I love you guys. I really don't. It's just it's been a short time, but I really do. You guys are the greatest people in the world. I just feel like I could trust any of you in my life. Everybody except Sam. <laughs> you know, I've been thinking on a deal for you. If you give me any too much steady, I'm going to follow you to the woods and you go turkey. Just about the time that old gobbler gets within shooting range, I'm going to run out there and holler at him. <laughs> Sam, the only thing I could think worse than running off a gobbler during turkey season is to kill my firstborn. But the only thing you need me to be worse. That would be dirty. That would be dirty. Of course, on the other hand, it'd be good because you'd find another turkey hunt. So that may, uh, that may pay off. Oh, well. Any other questions before we wrap it up? Anything else you want to talk about? Anything you've got a question on? I said it's unclear. I want to make sure you don't leave you with many doubts, many uh, problems. <laughs>